Bylog is connection, conversation, community. We believe life is better when we are connecting through relationships. Thank you for joining us. Today, we're going to talk about the line between. In this episode, we are talking about the line between fate and acceptance, or what can be more clearly defined as the line between fate and submission. I love having higher level conversations with other believers that are like mind and spirit. Interestingly enough, it's something that I had asked God for, for the past two or three years. And in walking into something that he had put on my heart to do, I started connecting with other people that are very similar. A conversation I recently had was about the line between fate and acceptance. I talk about one of my daughters and my struggle at times to accept the reality of her struggles. My friend said, but why can't we just go based on God's word and claim and expect that reality? This is what has been my struggle. I said, I honestly don't know the answer to that. There is evidence to both sides of that argument. On the one side, on the one hand, God has the power to heal any and everything and bring complete wholeness. On the other hand, we all know areas where he hasn't, but instead used it to implement a higher plan and purpose. You can heal what you are akin to. You can relate with the pain to which or with which you are intimately familiar. I think the question then becomes, Are we strong enough to allow God to use us to heal in someone else what he has not in us? Then, interestingly, I so happened to come across an advertising for a book. The book is called No Such Thing as Can't. It's about a man who has several Cerebral palsy. Palsy. Cerebral palsy. Oh my gosh. And the description of the book says this. Despite having cerebral palsy, being bullied throughout his school years, and doctors saying he'd never make it as a physician, Tyler Sexton followed God's call to become a pediatrician. He's a humble and joyful healer who gives hope to children with disabilities and their parents, as well as his other patients. His triumphant life story is proof that with God, there is no such thing as can't. This was amazing for me to see because that exactly is exactly what has been on the one side of the argument. On the one side, I knew just based on my personal, and it's interesting, this last season of life has really made me intimately aware of God in a different manner, a different way, something we also discussed. It was just a beautiful conversation. On the one hand, I know that God can change anything at any time. When we are in pain, when we are in struggles, and it seems too hard for us, 
we want out and we know that God can do it. He has done it for others. He has done it for us. But there are times where he will allow us to sit in a situation. And in those times, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that he wants us to get? What is it that he wants us to glean from that situation? What is it that he wants us to learn? I spoke in our conversation about thinking about that very thing, where in this last season of life, there was a situation that my family and I were involved in that I wanted God to end in six within six months. But he ended it in just about four years. Throughout that time, I had many emotions, emotions of anger, emotions of frustration, because I knew that God could just end it suddenly. But he didn't. It made me frustrated. It made me upset. Don't you see my pain? Don't you care? But I knew that he did. And I had to come to the conclusion of if he's allowing it, that there is a reason. And maybe that reason is that he wants me to see something. He wants me to learn something. He wants me to become something. During that time period, I said so many times, why are you allowing me to see this? He exposed me to a lot of realities that I prefer to have not been familiar with. I honestly wanted to stay in my ignorance of the situation because being faced with those realities was very painful because it painted a picture that I did not want to accept a side of humanity, a side of society that I did not want to believe. I wanted to believe the best. So it was very painful. I saw not only he showed me or allowed me to be witness to not only the pain of one side, but the pain of all sides. Something I could no longer close my eyes to or, you know, pretend that wasn't there, not because I you know, wanted to, but just because what can I do about it? If you're, why are you showing this to me? Why can't, why are you exposing me to this? What can I do about it? I'm just one person. You know, I'm, you're showing me this side and that side. It's not this against that or one way. It's no one answer. What do you want me to do with this? And, but he exposed me to it and I tucked it back and I, because I'm like, well, maybe there is something that I can do or maybe something he has for me to do. I can't see it because this thing is so big, but I will learn the lessons. I will take notes and tuck them away in my mind and in my heart. So, and then he finally ended it and I came out a different person. I came out passionate. I came out kind of wanting to war, you know, for the the people that are affected, not directly affected by the situation that we walked through, but just in general. And so that's the one side. I came out a different way. You know, I came out wanting to fight. I came out wanting to heal. I came out wanting to um become an answer. 
a tool of healing for others. And so you have that side, you have the side that he could have just stopped it. And I even said in our conversation, but what if he had done what I asked him to do and ended it in the six months that I implored him to? And all throughout those four years, I would give a different, you know, when it didn't happen, I would give a different target date and say, by this date, by this date. Eventually, it came to the point where I stopped giving target dates and I just said, you know, as long as you have me here, I'll be here. I'll do what it is I'm supposed to do regardless. And I'll walk forward and I will not let go of what you gave me. So... Back to talking uh, about my daughter, I said, well, part of my, I mean, I thought, I don't think I said it, but part of my struggle has been, you know, sometimes we look at something and we see it as needing healing or see it as brokenness, but is it really? And one of the conclusions that we came to is, seeking God as far as his answer to that, because we can spend so much time praying against something and binding something up and yes, using God's word on something. But what if God's intention in that particular situation is different? What if he intends to use that brokenness, use that difference? What if it's not brokenness to him? You can take a piece of pottery and it's so beautiful. It's a beautiful bowl. It's a beautiful vase. It's, you know, it's, it's gorgeous. It's whole. It can hold things. It has purpose. But you, if you take that same vase or that same bowl and it's been shattered, is it now not relevant? Is it now worthless? No. Because you can take those shattered pieces. And you can make something even more beautiful. You can take those pieces and make a mosaic, a different kind of beauty out of those broken pieces. So what if what we view as broken or not whole is actually the very thing that God wants to use because there are others who, if they see that brokenness, what if someone else is broken too? And what if the whole point is someone seeing a person just like them, struggling just like them, but taking that and not letting that hold them down and becoming a tool that God can use regardless and doing it with joy. But are we strong enough to say, I'm not going to sit here and implore you to heal me before I move, before you can use me, before you can utilize me to touch other lives and to heal others. You can use me right now in this very state of brokenness, in this very state. You can use me. 
And what if he uses you and uses that brokenness to help you to connect and relate to others and helps to heal them? Are we strong enough and mature enough to allow him to use us to heal someone else of the very thing that he has not healed in us? It reminds me of, I think it's Paul where he talked about a thorn in his flesh that he implored God to remove and God didn't. And he turned it around to say that pretty much God sent that thorn to help him. I'm just, it's not the exact words, but I'm paraphrasing pretty much to help him to be a certain way to move a certain way, which in essence is moving more powerfully, powerfully in what God had assigned him to do and to not go off track. Because if God had healed it, then his, his reliance on God, his reliance on what God had put in him would have gone a different direction. And therefore he would not have, have been as effective. It made me think of that. And that's why I said, I don't know. I know for me personally, if God had ended that situation when I wanted him to, three of my four children would not be with me. They would not be here, but then where would they have been? What they would they have gone through? He kept me in that situation because he had a higher purpose and a higher plan that I couldn't see and he did not make me privy to the details of. But it also changed me because at the end of it, I said, even if I have to walk this road again, which I did not want to, but if I had to, I will. So it caused me to surrender to his plan, even though it hurt, even though it made me uncomfortable, even though I didn't understand. I knew that if he was allowing it and that he was allowing me to experience the pain, he was allowing me to experience the struggle I had to trust and know that there was a higher reason for it, a higher purpose, and that he built me to take that on, that I could withstand it with his help. He already put that within me, so I had to get up and walk it out. In doing an autopsy of my own situation in my struggle, whether to ex, I mean, in accepting my daughter's struggles versus expecting God to eradicate that, I guess it comes down to different things. My desire for him to completely heal and eradicate her struggle is multifaceted. On the one hand, it would make things easier for me in raising her 
I have four children. <laughs> you know, it is very challenging when you have a child that, um, I guess they would classify as a, a special needs, um, that needs more than the typical child. It also is challenging when you have more than one. Excuse me. And so it would make it easier for me. It would make my vision of what this parenthood journey more closely related to what I envisioned that at this age, we should be doing this and this should be happening and that. And I was looking forward to this age because it's like we can have conversation and, you know, she's out of toddlerhood. She's, you know, we can do this. We can do that. It's going to be a different relationship, but to be stuck in the same relationship. And then I even said, but, you know, who's to say that what my idea is, is what should be what we are trying to attain. We can still have conversation. It may not look the way that I envisioned in my mind, but that's not to say that we can't have conversation. So it's for me to change my expectation. I also like to look at patterns. I take joy in doing autopsies on different situations that I find myself in or that I see other, other individuals in to kind of really delve in there to understand. And especially when I see patterns, and that's a thing that I like to look at as well, patterns. Look at the pattern. Because I can sit here for 10, 15 years until my daughter is an adult and be like, this is what, and then, and be so focused on a reality that God did not endorse and lose that time. And then she's an adult and all that time has been lost because instead of seeing her as she is and me as the adult changing not minimizing or diminishing my expectation of her that she will be successful, that God will use her in a mighty way and everything like that. But to see her and to give that what is needed with that expectation, but from my expectation of her to shift and give more of what is needed to get to that point for this individual child, for each individual child as they are needing it. Another facet of my desire for him to eradicate the struggle was I don't want her to struggle. This world is difficult and challenging enough as it is. And if you are different, it's even more so even more so. And I don't want that struggle for any of my children. And then I think it's like they struggled enough in the beginning and then you brought them here. So shouldn't that end now? Shouldn't it just be 
smooth sailing from this point on for them. I don't want them to have to struggle anymore. I want them to be at peace. I want them to just to walk in freedom, walk as if there is not a thing in the world that they have to worry or be concerned about. I would, I want to give that to them. Isn't that why you brought them here? So that's another facet of my desire for him to eradicate it. But then I, in my autopsy, my mental internal autopsy, I look at other situations outside of my own. I look at T.D. Jakes, how, you know, he's, you know, everybody knows him. He's a powerful minister. He has been, you know, uh, I guess such a, a, a tool that God has been able to use in the healing of so many, you know, and everything. And, but I remember him in an interview talking about this very thing, how he would go and he would minister and, and heal so many, but then he would go back to, you know, his mom and he couldn't heal his mom, but he was watching her, you know, watching her, you know, pass away. But he did the same thing, the same passion. He gave everything to, you know, ministering and, and, you know, the healing of others. And then he gave that same thing to his mom, but God didn't answer that in that way for him. I, I think about, you know, him as well, you know, his, with his daughter, his daughter having become pregnant, I think at 13. And I'm like, wow, you know, I, I, it's like, I wonder how they felt because it's like, you know, you're out there doing God's work and, you know, and everything like that. And then here, right in your own home, but then look at his daughter now. <laughs> she's taking her story and she's affecting so many, so many. So was it brokenness or was it God really utilizing and realigning for a greater purpose? And then this book as well, it's like, God didn't heal his cerebral palsy, but he is joyfully healing others, being used as a tool to heal others, even in the face of opposition, like a, you know, someone born with his condition being a doctor, probably unheard of, you know, so he had to fight. He had to struggle with this brokenness. And, but God has used it and he's allowing God to use it. And God is using him to heal so many, but did not heal him. So, but he is a tool. If God had healed him, he wouldn't be able to be that effective tool that he is today. Because something that we need to be aware of is when you are talking to someone about a thing and someone is going to, through a situation and it's very painful and, and everything like that. If they're going through depression, if they're going through a divorce, if they're going through miscarriage or, uh, 
uh, not being able, you know, to uh, carry a pregnancy or diff- different things. If you are talking to them from a place without having that personal intimate knowledge of their struggle, then you're not as effective because they're hearing you, but they're also thinking you don't know what I'm going through. You have no idea. So if you actually do know, they can say, wow, you do know exactly how I feel. You've been through this yourself, but look what it's doing for you. The, this gentleman with cerebral palsy, another child with cerebral palsy and, and feeling depressed about it. And why was I born this way? And I can't, you know, do this or I can't do that. But they see him as a physician. Look what you can do too. Look what you can do too. In spite of the brokenness. I look at myself, one of the things that I see in uh, a few of my children are uh, anxiety. And a couple other things. And it's interesting because when I look at the patterns, I think, yeah, I mentioned that a little earlier and we'll, we're coming back to that. Of patterns, the patterns, the association, the exposure. I think about, for instance, I lost my, one of my uh, dogs, suddenly heart disease. And whenever I lose an animal, I like to go and rescue another animal because we have an open spot and we can give a home to another animal that needs it. So we went to rescue uh, the rescue league and we adopted a an eight-year-old, well, they assume eight or seven or eight-year-old, an eight, seven to eight-year-old dog. And he was quiet and I was like, okay, cool. But once he got home, it turned into a whole different story. It was very apparent that this dog had a lot of issues, a lot of fears. Uh, his story that they knew, they pretty much that he was a stray. He was very matted. So who knows how long he was out on the street. And his anxiety was palatable, palatable. Certain things that we would do would cause fear in him. He would do things such as if my children were, you know, pushing one of those toy strollers and the wheels and the noise, he would react by trying to bite the stroller. If we were doing something like quickly with our feet, he would come and, and, uh, pretty much attack our feet. And so it was very obvious that he has been, he had been through trauma. And the anxiety was making him so fearful and mistrustful and make him kind of lash out. Not purposefully, he didn't bite us, but, you know, you, I could tell that it was internal. It was fear. It was a traumatic past. And he was 
still looking through those lens, even though he was in a safe home. It came to the point that it was so challenging. And I talked to the pediatrician. I don't, I'm not about medication and stuff like that, but I tried the natural methods, CBD oil and, and then that didn't help. And I like, I said to the pediatrician, I need you to give me a medication, you know, and she's about the natural route too. And so she wanted me to try that method first. And I said, I've tried it. It's not working. I need something that can calm him down enough so that he can not perceive everything as a threat to take for a period of time so that he can in a more relaxed, forced, relaxed state, see that he is in a safe place and can start to associate and see through those lens. And because she took a bit to agree to that, I really considered taking him back to the shelter. I actually called them, but they were, you know, closed at the time. And then I had to stop because I said, I used the word adoption when we got him. And my children know that, you know, they are adopted, my oldest in particular, you know, and I said, he's going to be with us and, and we're giving him a home. The same words, you know, that I use, you know, when I talk about, you know, them coming to me and, you know, and, and different things. And when we added, uh, you know, more children. And so I'm like, if I give him back, I don't want her to associate that with, oh, it wasn't forever. So if he was adopted and he was supposed to be here forever, but we gave him back, then that means that could happen to me too. I didn't want that association at all. So it caused me to pause. And and then I went back to the vet veterinarian and I said, this is where I'm at. I need you to give me the medication or I will have to go to another vet. Because I'm at the point where I'm about to give him, take him back to the shelter. And I don't want to do that because I also knew that if I took him back because of his behavioral issues, that someone else will also take him back, you know, they'll take him back and then he, then he will never find, you know, possibly who knows how long it'll be. And then every time that he's returned, it causes an additional trauma. Oh, you never were safe. See my anxiety, you know, my internal, you know, my view, my assessment was right. You weren't safe because now here I am again. And then that just feeds that. And so that God would allow that to happen with a pet. It's like, wow, you know, and I said, you keep bringing me beings, whether human or animals that have some type of, you know, anxiety situation. So what is that saying? Is, is, I mean, do you, did you put something within me to be able to address that, to be able to walk, work healing in that? A year later, our dog change. He started to relax. Every He would zoom up and down. He would not keep still. If I got up and moved, he was right there, not just walking. He would run, you know, just back and forth, back and forth. And finally, he started to rest. Once he was on the medication, he started to rest. He started to, and then I started to pull back the medication, 
and use the natural um, methods with him. And he maintained that. So what I wanted to do was correct, which is put him on the medication to force him to relax, to be able to come into alignment with a different view of the situation that he was in now, not the situation, not it being colored by where he was before. And him being able to be in that place allowed that healing to continue and to strengthen once I started to diminish the medication to the point where he is no longer on medication. He hasn't been for probably about a year now and he is still good. I mean, he still has his stuff with peeing in his crate because he was on the street and, you know, they're on the street. You can just pee whenever you want, you know, but it's not a, I mean, it is what it is with that. (laughs) And so, uh, but behaviorally, I can trust him around my children now. I can feel like if they're trying to pet him suddenly or he's not going to freak out and he doesn't, you know, loud noises don't freak him out anymore. Movements, quick movements don't freak him out anymore. You know, I mean, he has his moments, but it's interesting because one of the things he started to do is when he was feeling anxious, he would take a toy and just start, you know, ragging the toy, like shaking the toy, shaking the toy. So he wouldn't direct it at us. He would direct it at a toy and he just started to do that on his own when he was feeling moments of, you know, great anxiety. So he created an outlet for himself to deal with it, (laughs) which is, which was awesome to see. And so the same. And so I looked at that and I said, well, that's interesting because you keep exposing me to this. So what is it that you want me to see? What is it that you want me to do? But I knew what was in me. It was doing it or being willing to do it. I knew what he has placed in me, but it is a lot of work. It requires a lot of patience. It requires, but it it does come to me naturally, the methods, but the patience is where I was having a problem, especially when, you know, you go through something repetitively and I'm a person, I like to see results. It's like, okay, we do this, you get the lesson and we can move on. I want to see progress. I want to see progress, but to see progress moving so slowly was a thing that I needed to come to grips with and to be more patient, more understanding and not get frustrated when the progress wasn't happening the way that I wanted to see it or the way that was um, more of, uh, I would say more uh, advantageous for me because then now we can move on to the next step. I don't have to keep walking this repetitive road with you. You know, and then to remember that the progress that has been made between this point of time and this point of time and to do what it is that he has put within me to do, no matter my feeling, no matter my desire, no matter my discomfort, I am the one with the power 
because I'm the one that holds the key. The keys that they don't have. But I can teach them the keys so that they can do this for themselves and also do this for others. Because what use is being able to do something and be a point of healing? I'm not going to be around forever. You know, I mean, I can't touch everyone. But if I hand and mentor that mantle onto someone else, then it extends because the reach goes further. If God has put that healing tool in me and I teach it to you and I teach it to you and you see that it has worked in you because that healing tool has helped to heal you, you can then in turn help heal others. And that's part of the point of our purpose here and purpose of what God has put inside of us. So I think it would behoove us all to look at what we consider brokenness in a different way. To allow God to use it even if his method or path of using it is not aligned with ours because he is not here to do our bidding and our plans, but we are here to do his. He placed us here with a purpose, with a plan, with a a healing inside of us for someone else and the way, and he knows the way that that is most effective and to see our brokenness and our pain and to not hide it or shove it under a rug or put a mask on it, but to let it be seen because someone else who is going through that same thing will will they will gravitate to you and they will see it and be like wow but look at them anyway look how joyful they are anyway they're believing in god anyway they're not perfect you know transparency to me is another beautiful thing because you know you're not acting as if you know oh i'm a believer and that means everything is perfect and i have never gone through anything and if i have oh let me just you know quickly brush over that and come to the the joyful part Because we all struggle and for someone to see you struggle, but get back up. Whether you know it or not, people are watching you. Our children are watching us. Those who are, we are associated are watching us. People that we don't even know are watching us. I go into the grocery store so many times and all I am focused on is my children and just making sure that everybody's good and we're walking in unison and getting what we need to get and everything. And I, I maintain a certain way that we move as a unit because I'm not running after anyone, (laughs) you know? So it's like, you know, this is, you know, everybody has their position that they need to be in and we walk as a unit 
And I will see so many people come up to me and mention how they see me. And, you know, they, you know, I can't even get my one child to do that. And, or I saw you at the grocery or I saw you here. And I'm like, what? You know, because as I said, I'm not paying attention. If you asked me who was there, I don't know. I'm just focused on my children and the tasks that we have at hand, you know, and then they're so amazed. And it's like, you know, but I'm just doing what's in me. I'm just being authentically myself. I'm doing what I know is needed to keep my children regulated. And therefore myself. And another thing that I notice is in walking that last season out, God, I would say, allowed me to experience anxiety. When we came out of that season, I was very anxious not anxious for anything, but like there were different situations that were happened that were out of my control a lot. And I'm the type of person where the stability of my environment, you know, is important to me just to keep. And especially once I got my children and in dealing with, you know, their walks of healing and, and the issues that they had that for my environment to be a certain way to not cause any triggers to then start to free fall into behavioral situations that we then had to go back down the stairs to come back up, you know, to the level that we were at again. And so once we were out of that situation, it was very interesting because I had anxiety just based on that exposure, it was like post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic syndrome because just the things like the phone ringing, you know, would trigger me. You know, somebody wanted to come to, you know, our house would trigger me because I was in a situation where I could not control who came into my house. And I could minimally control when, and I'm very, a very private person as far as my environment and everything like that. And so it's like, you know, and them coming into the house would trigger my children. And, you know, so, you know, it was like, okay, you come to my house and then I'm like, okay, is, is that going to cause a, you know, some type of free fall in, in somebody that I then have to turn around and bring them back from. So it was, you know, it would trigger that for me. And so even in that, it was interesting because I'm like walking through that and coming out of this season, that uncertainty, that back and forth, that, okay, we're doing this. No, we're not doing it. And, and, you know, that just that feeling of not being stable just in the situation that we were in, it, it caused anxiety because I couldn't rely on what you're telling me. You say this and we're going to do this, but then you change your mind and then it's this and then it's that. So it's like I had no point of, of reference. It's, you know, and so to remember and to understand, hey, that's what my children feel. That's what they felt coming out and being in this system. One time you're here, the next time you're there. Not being able to have a say or a voice in what's happening to you. Being in situations that made you uncomfortable, made you stressful, made you scared, but you, there, but you had no choice but to be in those situations. And so it's like 
well, if I'm feeling this way as an adult, how much more are they as a child? Because as an adult, I have a choice. I can say, I'm not doing this or whatever you want to do. That's what you need to do, but I'm out. I have that choice, but a child does not. They do not have that choice. They do not have that voice. So it made me more sensitive also because that did not go away and it still hasn't fully gone away. And that doesn't go away just like that. So even my expectation, well, it's been this amount of time. So, you know, you should be um, over this by now. You've been in this safe environment. But, you know, what do I know of what exactly is triggering them? You know, some things take a, a while to heal, a while to process. And I even had to deal with that myself because I'm like, I wanted, okay, we're out of it now. Okay, Lord, wipe all of that away from me so I don't feel this way and that way and I can move forward. But it didn't happen like that. I'm still walking through healing. It's been four months. Actually, today is exactly four months. It's been four months. And there are things I'm still walking through. Sometimes when I see their faces and I can see traces of their past, you know, the pain and stuff like that, they, they walk through before coming to me. And I can relate to that because I feel that way sometimes too. I'm not in that situation anymore, but I'm still dealing with the processing of it. And wouldn't it take longer for a child because they don't have the experience, they don't have the knowledge, they, you know, they don't have, you know, being able to, you know, the different methods of healing and stuff like that to be able to process it, to be able to move forward, to be able to reconceptualize it, to be able to use it and turn around and use it, you know, to make you stronger or to, you know, use it to fuel, you know, you being able to use that pain and not let that pain keep you down. They don't have that yet. They're learning that. I'm teaching them that. You know, in the midst of them still processing that past, processing how they felt, processing different things. It is a process and it's okay that it's a process. And someone else is going through that process. And eventually they will be able to be a tool of healing themselves because they will say, I know how that feels. I can sympathize with you. I can empathize with you. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel, you know, depressed sometimes. Just don't stay there. And that's the thing that I, I want most for them to know. And I tell it to them, just, just don't stay there. You may feel sad. You may feel different things. Just don't stay there. Walk forward anyway. Walk forward if you're feeling sad. Process the sadness, but don't let it stop you to the point where you rest in a place that you can move on from. Because the deeper you let that get a hold of you, the harder it is to make it release you. So you, it's okay to sit in it for a moment, but then get up. You don't have to wait until you're completely healed. Get up anyway, move forward anyway, move forward. And if anything out of that season that I wanted to see, because they saw how I moved in that season, 
I want them to see how I moved. I want them to remember how I moved. Even in sadness, even in grief, even in not understanding, even in frustration and pain, I still got up and kept walking with tears. Barely being able to walk. I still walked forward because I had a higher purpose and the purpose was them. So take an autopsy and lay out your points of pain, your points of brokenness, especially the things that you want God to remove that he hasn't. And sit with him and ask, what is it that you want me to do with this? What is your plan and your purpose here? And please help me to align with that and to be as effective as you see me being and as effective as you can make me regardless. Help me to get up and do it anyway, to walk forward anyway, because no matter what state I'm in, a state of peace, a state of being distraught, a state of uh, health, a state of, of sickness, a state of Freedom, a state of confinement, a state of not wanting for anything, a state of lack, a state of joy, a state of sadness, a state of grieving, a state of, of joy again. <laughs> you are with me in everything. And that's what I knew too. You're with me in the valley. You're with me on the mountaintop. You are with me. You were with me through everything. You never left me, even in the places that I didn't want to be in. You were right down there with me. He's with you too. Take those broken pieces and make it a mosaic. Turn it into another kind of beauty. And show others to do the same. Thank you for joining Vialog. We'll see you next time.